Hello, and welcome to Cool Story Guys. I'm Jeff. I'm Ethan. And today, my friend, our discussion is going to be all about animals. Would you say that you're an animal lover, Ethan? I mean, yeah, they're fine. Like, I don't have pets. Well, I do have pets. I have two cats. And actually, I don't really like them that much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, apparently not enough that you even remembered that they existed. (laughs) I wish they didn't at times. Uh, my, 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 My cats bring certain problems with them. Yeah, I'm a general animal lover. I think you kind of have to be once you become a parent, because once your child discovers animals and all they talk about is animals. So, um, yeah, I like them. I like weird animals. I'm really into cryptozoology. Okay. I like the stuff that may or may not exist, you know, but. <laughs> I am absolutely an animal lover, personally. I feel that most of the joy that I derive from the internet comes from pictures and videos of animals that have been put on this earth to warm my cold, jaded heart. So, because of the sheer joy that they bring me on a daily basis, I love them. But today, those aren't the kind of animals that we're going to talk about. Okay. Because, Ethan, that's not the sort of story that we're writing. No. We have been doomed to write a spooky supernatural story, so when you get a role like Charismatic Megafauna, you have to use that role to bring in some horrible beasts to torment our protagonists. (laughs) Indeed you do. In your last chapter, you introduced three terrifying creatures, each getting progressively more gargantuan. A rat, a dog, and a whale. Why did you choose those three particular animals? What was it about them that you thought fit in well with the horror aesthetic? Rats are a go-to, you know. They're gross. They spread disease. It was a diseased world. A wolf? I don't know why I got a wolf. Wolf was sort of random, if I'm going to be really quite honest with you. But the whale, it was all prepped for the whale. I love creepy giant whales. I think (laughs) whales are often seen as this mysterious creature that we have to protect. Whales are scary, my man. Whales are super scary. And so anytime that I can take a whale and make it even worse, I'm going to take that opportunity. Okay. Yeah, a lot of times we're talking about saving the whales, Mm -hmm. not fearing the whales. Exactly. And it takes me back to the uh, film from the 1970s, Orca, which was a take on Jaws, but instead of a a shark, it was a killer whale, which killer whales actually don't attack humans that often unless you put them into a tiny little uh, aquarium, and then, yeah, they attack humans a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, That movie really (laughs) stuck with me. Sure. So, sorry, whales. Sorry, whales. I don't want to start. See, the the, the thing is, you have to be responsible with this kind of stuff, because Steven Spielberg will say the same thing about what happened to to sharks after Jaws came out. There was this huge campaign, like, anti-shark, and I don't want there to be an anti-whale campaign, because just as you brought up, we got to save those whales. There's not many of them left. So um, I do want to apologize in advance if people read this story and suddenly go out and decide to like just decimate the whale population. Mm -hmm. That is not the side effect that I was counting on. So sorry about that, whales. Yeah, you may have found a new way to be problematic, Ethan. So congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Making the choice of which scary animal do I want to put in my scary story can be a really hard decision. And I'm sure that there will be more scary animals added before the end. So, in preparation for future chapters, I did some inquisitive Googling. Ooh. We've discussed in the past how much I enjoy lists of things. Mm -hmm. So, I looked through what the internet had to say and found quite a few options for future animal threats for our story. (laughs) But, like most lists on the internet... The ones I found were unfocused and vague, and they grouped together some animals that were much scarier than others. So, Ethan, I propose we create a tier list 
and rank them ourselves, settling once and for all which are truly the scariest animals. How does that sound to you? This sounds really good. This is exactly what I wanted to do today. Thank you. So, personally, I love watching tier list videos on YouTube about video games that I'm playing while I eat lunch. Do you ever watch those videos? (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who aren't familiar, the sort of tier list we're talking about is just a grading system with D at the bottom, moving up to C, B, and A, and then at the very top is S tier, which means it is the very best of the best, or in this case, the scariest of the scary. Now, for this list, please note that there is no F tier, because these are all God's creatures, and so none of them can ever truly be a failure. (laughs) Also, I wanted to mention, since I live in Germany, that the word tier in German means animal. Oh, yeah. So this tier list is a fun, inadvertent double entendre, and it brings me joy. Good job, Jeff. That's really good. I like that. Brings me joy now. (laughs) All right, let's start with a real scary one. Sharks. Oh, man. I'm going to go ahead and say sharks are S tier. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Well, you know what? Actually, Jeff, I'm going to disagree. Please do. They are scary animals, but they're scary animals, as, as I said before, that have had some of that scariness projected onto them. I think they're a, a very easy victim in this world of scary animals. And, and I think I'm going to give them A just because they have the potential to be scary. But at S tier, I think they have to be like, consuming hundreds of people each year. And they don't. They only eat like one or two people each year. Maybe. Not even that. So I'm going to keep it A. I, I don't disagree with your S. You know, I'm, I'm not going to like, that's not the hill I'm going to die on, but I'm going to I'm going to bring that shark down to an A. No, I'm willing to meet you at A tier because I've seen some videos of some very wholesome sharks that really enjoy belly rubs and <laughs> interacting with people. <laughs> so they're not just pure evil. They can be very scary, but they can also be, you know, kind of lovely. Yeah. So, okay. A tier for sharks. Yeah. Next, hippos. Oh, man. Hippos are the most dangerous land animal. Yeah. And hippos, it should be noted, are vegetarians. So they're not even trying to eat you. They just want to mess you up. Dude, I got to say, I would put hippos at S tier because of the unexpected. Hippos classically have been seen in cartoons as oafish type characters. You don't expect that hippo to come crashing through the marsh, you know, and severing you in half, which is what they could do with their big jaws. I would mm-hmm. I would give hippos an S tier just for that shock value, that unexpected murder death that comes from thinking, oh, that's cute. That's a stupid looking animal. What's going to happen to it? Yeah. Hippos are S. Yeah. I'm fine putting hippos in S tier. They are truly frightening. And if one was coming after me, I would be very scared. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Next up, squids and octopi. Ooh. Wow. What do you think? Well, I love eating them, so I'm not particularly afraid of them. I mean, here's the thing with all of the water beasts, is that you feel more scared of them because you can't move as freely in water as you can on land. Yeah. So is that really making the thing scarier, or just the whole class sort of gets an unfair advantage? Personally, I feel like squids and octopi are scary. All of these things are scary in context. But I've got them at maybe like a B or a C tier. Compared to other scary things, I don't think they're that scary. And I like to eat them. And also, they're pretty intelligent, like, generally speaking. And I kind of, I don't know, I kind of look to them and feel like they would be really good aquatic allies for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's tough for me to kind of wrap my head around them, like, being antagonists in my journey and my life and my story. 
So yeah, I agree with you. I would keep them B at most and B for like a giant one that's kind of lost its mind because like its friends picked on him its whole life and it decides to go after like boats and buoys and that kind of a thing. But um, I think they're kind of sweet too, but I do like to eat them as well. So I do agree with you on that. Okay, we'll we'll put them at B just because of Krakens. Yeah, yep. And I'm from Seattle, so go Kraken. <laughs> okay, next up, arachnids, which includes spiders, ticks, and scorpions. Easy. That's an S. That's an S. Yeah, we've discussed in this season how afraid we both are of spiders. So yeah, no reason to uh, beat around the bush on that one. Yeah. They're scary as crap. Hell yeah. Arachnids are S tier. Okay, next up, bears. Ooh, this is going to sound sort of like animal racist. I apologize for this. I think I give mammals a bit of a pass, like generally speaking, from a, from a scary perspective, because I feel like there's that link, you know, and I feel like fish and insects and lizards get too much of a grade up, you know, because they're just they're either slimy or they're cold. And bears to me, like, I don't they just seem cuddly and nice, but I know they're violent and they're vicious and they make for very good video game enemies. Mm-hmm. You're not going to befriend a hippo in the way that you could befriend a bear. Exactly. And I feel like you can ride a bear into battle pretty easily. But they are also scary. I suggest B tier. I think bears are B tier. Yeah. They could hit you once with their, their big old mitts and your head will just collapse. Like, Oh yeah, they'll mess you up. Let's go B for bear. Okay, next up is an animal that we have used fairly extensively in our last book, mollusks. Ooh. Now, I made a big, scary lightning nautilus, but in general, mollusks aren't all that scary. No, those are D. They're D. Yeah, I think a mollusk is D tier, but hey, congrats to me for making one so scary, huh? You did make a scary mollusk. There were layers to that mollusk, but yeah, normal ones, not so much. Okay, next is a moose. A moose? Ooh. I just saw a video of a moose running through three feet of snow at like 50 miles an hour. Yeah. That thing is a freight train that will splatter you over the forest. And they're giant. And I think, you know, it goes back to that hippo score is that it's it's an unexpected thing. Moose are always, you know, seen in, in kind of a lazy, they're like lazy animals mm-hmm. in cartoons. So yeah, moose, man, I don't know. I would give a moose at least an A. I think a moose is an A tier because like it's not quite as uh, sour as hippos tend to be. Yeah. But it'll mess you up just as bad. Moose isn't out on the streets looking for trouble. Hippo is. No, although there is that great episode of This American Life about that town in Alaska where the moose kept getting drunk on (laughs) fermenting apples that fell out of the tree and then stumbling through the town. That is one of my favorite (laughs) podcast stories. So drunk moose S tier, normal moose A. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Vermin. This is the rat. Yeah. The rats that you so uh, diligently add into your chapters. You know historically rats and other vermin are s tier just not just because of they themselves but their ability to spread disease and plague and they're ugly and they just make these little noises and they come at you in big massive groups and yeah to me a rat's an s tier i disagree i don't think vermin are s tier I feel like they're somewhere between A and B tier for me. Really? Because most rats are way more afraid of people than, you know, we are of them. 
Okay. I'll, I'll give you, let's say this, I'll come down to an A, an A to a B plus on the rat. Okay. Okay. I'll stick vermin in A tier because they did create the bubonic plague. Yes. So, you know, that's pretty spooky. Yes, that is spooky. And that created a lot of ghosts, which is also spooky. <laughs> it created so many ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have another animal from your last chapter, canines. Oh, man. How spooky is a big dog? Nobody's scared of a Pomeranian, but people will be very scared of a big, angry dog. Yeah. A big, angry dog, I think, is the same level as like a bear to me, you know? Like a big, angry dog can't be higher than a bear. So I would say B. Yeah. Okay, so it's a B tier. Yeah. I agree. Okay, but then what about felines? Big, angry cats. Are they scarier than big, angry dogs? No, I don't think a cat can get above a dog in in terms of that. I mean, I guess you've got lions and tigers and stuff, but they're so noble. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, even if you're getting killed by a by a tiger, it's noble. You feel like, oh, I deserve this. So I'd give cats a C. No way. You can't put them lower than dogs. How could a tiger or a lion be a C-tier predator? They're so noble. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they're super dangerous. Well, yeah, but like that nobility, it's kind of like a sexy dude in like a leather coat. Like, <laughs> like they're dangerous. We know. Like, you don't want to get involved. I don't know. There's something not so scary about it. I'm not putting a lion as a C-tier scary animal. They're very noble, but they are scary as crap. They're going in B-tier. Yeah, okay. They're going in B-tier with dogs. We're not going to break the tie between <laughs> dog and cat love today. They can stay in the same tier. That's your problem with it. It's not that they're scary. It's just you don't want to be responsible for that dialogue occurring on this podcast. I get that. That's fine, Jeff. Yeah, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much to bite off. <laughs> Next, snakes. Oh, I think a lot of people would say S. I would say A. I don't care about snakes. I don't care how big they are. They're just snakes. They don't spook me. Yeah, but a snake's one of those things where all it has to do is nick ya and you're dead, which is very scary. Venom is very scary to me. Venom is scary. But do snakes get all the credit for venom? They get most of the credit. I mean, scorpions have venom too <laughs> in arachnids, and we already put them in S tier. Okay, I guess, yeah. I guess if we're if we're looking at it on the venom basis, then yeah, snakes should probably be A to S. They're cuter than arachnids. They've got nice faces. I would be fine putting snakes as an A tier with sharks, moose, and vermin. Yeah, that's a pretty good group to be with. Mm-hmm. That's good company. <laughs> gorillas. Oh, gorillas, man. They can talk. They can speak sign language. Yeah. They can also absolutely rip a person in half. They're so strong. And I saw Congo, and that really scared me big time. You've got the King Kong factor if they grow to the size of a skyscraper. Can I say B? And this is not to take anything away from the strength of a gorilla, but I kind of feel like I can talk a gorilla down a lot easier than I could any other other of those animals. You know what I mean? Personally, I would put gorillas in C tier. You'd put them in C tier? I don't think gorillas are that scary. Yeah, I agree with you. I would put them in a level below bears, big dogs, and big cats. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if I see a gorilla coming at me, I know the very basic sign language I need to communicate with it. Now I hope it knows it already. Yeah, I agree with you. Let's keep that at C. Now we have an animal that I use to destroy the entire Olvson clan. Boars and or pigs. <laughs> what country are we in, by the way, with boars? This encompasses all boars. Okay. 
Because German boars do scare me big time. Like when I would go hiking, I was really. Yeah, they got disease too. Yeah, man. And you did a number on them. Like you, you brought boars to the forefront of my animal fear. I'm not going to lie. I would give them at least an A. Like there's a lot going on. Wow. That is a much higher ranking for boars than I would give. I think it's based on your chapter. I gave you a serious spook then. It was. Wow. Horror accomplished. Yeah. Pat myself on the back for that one. You should. I was thinking they were C-tier. Like, a boar is scary, but, you know, gorillas are scary, too. I mean... And a boar is not scarier than a bear. Well, maybe I need to, like, get your boar out of my head, because your boar was really scary. My <laughs> boar was only scary because it was 60 feet tall. I think I'm measuring it a lot higher because of the unexpected, because no one thinks boars are scary, and I didn't until I moved to Germany, and then I saw them and they freak me out, and they move in groups, mm -hmm. and they will eat your bones. And I don't know if a bear <laughs> would eat bones. There's something about animals that eat bones that I don't like. So I don't disagree with C. I think, I think C makes sense. I just want to caution people, though. Boars are scary. Like, they're scary. Don't just take our ranking. I'm going to put boars with an asterisk, and the asterisk means boars are scary yeah. <laughs> on this list of scary animals. <laughs> Okay, now we have your ultimate megafauna, the whale. Man, I'm sorry, and this may just be me. That's S-tier. There's a lot about whales that are scary. Biggest animals ever to exist on this planet. Like we were saying about the boar, the only reason the boar in my chapter was particularly scary was because it was the size of a whale. Yeah. And so just the fact that whales are by their very nature the size of whales, they're pretty scary. <laughs> Exactly. All right. I'm fine with S tier. <laughs> I'm fine with S tier. Next, we have a bit of a subgenre. Fish with teeth. Like piranha. Yeah, or any of those real spooky deep down fish that have the sharp, nasty mouths. Yeah, I've seen a couple of YouTube videos of those. I would give those B at best because they're so deep. Those are deep fish. And I saw a video where piranhas aren't really as dangerous as we've made them out to be. So I'd give them a B just because more of an ick factor than like a scary factor. But there, you know what I mean? Like icky scary is scary in its own way, but like not dangerous scary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm almost C tier on these. Bring them down to C. A fish with teeth is scary, but it's not scarier to me than a gorilla. Yeah, you're right. I think gorilla is a good measuring stick on this. Um, Did you see the video of the fish with human teeth? Yes, I did. Ugh, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. It was like they stuck Grandpa Simpson's dentures in its mouth. Yeah, that one got to me a little bit, emotionally. <laughs> okay, now it's a bigger category than fish with teeth. Birds. Oh. You scared of a burb? I had a client back in the day who had a parakeet that would fly around like crazy inside of a tiny apartment, and it spooked me. But I also know that there's only so much a bird can do to me. But like... A Quetzalcoatl or like a Thunderbird, birds of legend, absolutely terrifying. Normal everyday birds, mm -hmm. I don't know, not so much. I, I would say C. You see, I, I would say the big birds that do exist can really mess you up. Yeah. Like a bald eagle's gonna take your whole face off if it feels like. And you can't do anything because it'll just fly away. That is true. I would put big scary birds in with the B tier with the canines and the felines. A big scary bird is just as scary to me as a big cat or a big dog. I agree with that. 
You agree? Okay. The whole rip your face off and fly away thing, I realize that an eagle is not going to stay there and confront you the entire time. Your face is gone. Your face is now in its nest. One of its babies is wearing that face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's effed up. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Next, we have insects. <laughs> S. You just immediately put bugs into S tier. Hate them. Hate bugs. Yeah, swarms of billions of tiny creatures that want to devour you is truly frightening. Yes. It's one of the most frightening things. Well, and bugs have this, they have this thing where tiny bugs, frightening, gigantic bugs, frightening. Mm -hmm. Like that whole size differential that you kind of can apply to any other animal is the complete opposite with insects because like they're just creepy no matter what. So yeah, oof, gross. S. I agree. Okay, this next one might be a bit broad for its own good, but I felt like it needed to be included. Dinosaurs. Ooh. Man, there's a lot of dinosaurs. And it's not entirely fair because then it's like just saying all of these other kinds of animals that were pretty disparate. I mean, I guess there's a lot of dogs that are pretty disparate, and a Pomeranian is not the same thing as a wolf, but some of those dinosaurs were probably sweethearts. Yeah. And some of them wanted to tear you apart. But all of them could crush you. Well, there's some tiny ones, I guess. I mean, I think they're S-tier generally. Like, there's never a situation where someone's like, "Uh uh-oh, Jeff, we're in a forest full of dinosaurs, and you're like, oh, cool. No, you're panicked. Even if they turn out to be sweethearts, they're so big, the big sweetheart ones with the kind of dumb faces, they may not see you, and they may just crush you as they're trying to love on you. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. The fact that dinosaurs can inadvertently kill you in a way that other animals cannot is pretty scary. Yeah. So I would say S. You would say S. My inclination is A, but that's only because there are what I assume are some sweethearts mixed in with the bunch. Yeah. Kind of like sharks. How sharks, we have sharks in A because some of those sharks are big meanies and other ones, you know, want a good belly rub. It's a belly rub factor for you, isn't it? Yeah, it really it usually boils down to that. <laughs> we'll give him A. I'm okay with that. Okay. But I'm going to put an asterisk by it, which means dinosaurs are scary. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got two more. Okay. Microbes. Microbes? Yeah. I guess I never really think about microbes on a regular basis, but I mean, they are scary. They're alive. They're alive. They're there. They are the plague which the vermin bring. I mean, just because of what they can do, I have to give those S. S to A, because that's scary. You can't do anything about them. They're so small. You can't, like, fight them. You can't have fisticuffs. Grenades don't do anything against them. Yeah, no, I would say that's that's A-S. Uh, my inclination is S. S, okay. Swarm of microbes that give you terrible plague is truly frightening to me. Yeah, that's so. not fun. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so they go in S tier. Final scary animal. Humans. S. S S plus. What's higher than S? S plus. You think humans are scarier than all scary animals? Yes. There is nothing scarier than humans. If I see a gorilla running at me out in the forest, it's frightening, but expected. But a human? Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah, humans scare the crap out of me. I mean, there's a lot of physical and emotional and mental trauma they can cause you. They swarm. You know, they're swarm animals. 
You know, they're a bit dumb, kind of dumb dums. Some of them like belly rubs. That's fine. (laughs) I do. And there's billions of them. Billions of them. Okay, fine. I was going to put humans in A tier because I don't think that they're scarier than sharks or moose. But I feel like I've gotten my way too many times where you've acquiesced to me. So I'll put humans in S tier. Thank you. You wanted S plus, so I'm not going to go against that. I don't want someone to read this list and think that humans are not scary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's go through the list from the bottom. In the D tier, we have mollusks. Mollusks are not scary. Yep. Next, in C tier, we have gorillas, boars with an asterisk, and fish with teeth. Yep. B tier, squids and octopi, bears, canines, felines, and birds. A tier, sharks, moose, vermin, snakes, and dinosaurs, also with an asterisk. Yep. And S tier, the scariest of the scariest animals, hippos, arachnids, whales, insects, microbes, and humans. That sounds perfect. No one's going to argue any of this. This is a pretty good list. Yeah, I, this is great. I think we settled it once and for all. <laughs> I think we did those asterisks or what? Really set this list apart from others. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now that we have a definitive list of the scariest animals, do you think that you're going to stick with the S-tier choices when introducing monsters in the future, or just sort of continue to go with your gut? Um, You know, I think starting with S-tier and working your way down is is always a fun thing, but I think you like to shock people, Mm -hmm. you know, you like to bring up the unexpected. So I think you'll see me toy with animals from across the rating spectrum. Sure. Yeah, sometimes you want to just make a big scary mollusk, even if mollusks aren't scary. Yep. (laughs) Well, your gut already made you choose rats, dogs, and whales for your last chapter. Do you want to give us a recap of the other choices you made in chapter six? I will. After walking through the portal created by the gray-haired man, John and Kaya find themselves trapped at the bottom of a ravine in an arid, inhospitable world with a stormy yellow sky, the reek of rot faintly lingering in the air. There is no sign of Torv anywhere, despite there being only one direction he and they could travel due to the steepness of the ravine walls and the long row of giant thorn bushes at the top. Kaya is somewhat apprehensive about finding Torv, as she doesn't know whether they can trust him due to his brash behavior, but eventually decides his combat ability is enough to take a risk on joining up with him for the foreseeable future. Suddenly, a monstrous roar breaks through the silence, and the two are forced to hide underneath an outcropping against the wall. After a short time, the snout of a giant rat pokes out from the thorn bushes and appears to have caught their scent. Before it can attack, an even larger creature that John Kaya cannot see grabs a rat, and a battle between monsters ensues, though it's clear that the giant rat is losing. As a struggle above them begins to knock loose dirt and rock from the ravine wall, John Kaya take the opportunity to run further down the ravine and are fortunate to find a small cave a short distance away. They crawl in and are immediately covered in mud due to the presence of a natural spring at the back of the cave. They decide to sit and wait for the unknown monster to kill and eat it as Kaya knows that a satiated animal is less dangerous. Once the sounds of the grotesque meal stop, John and Kaya leave the cave, but not before covering themselves in mud as a means of masking their scent. John and Kaya walk back to the side of the battle as previously, Kaya had seen that the wall they were hiding under collapsed just as they'd run to the cave, which created a means for them to escape the ravine. Once at the top, they find the body of the rat and discover that not only is it massive, but it also appears to be infected with some kind of blight. The other creature is nowhere in sight, 
but has left a large path through the thorn bushes, allowing Jaw and Kaya to travel with ease. Kaya suggests they look for a place to get a better vantage point in order to get their bearings, and find a hill with a tiny shelter at the top. They climb up and find a massive fetid sea on the other side of a large sand dune. On the beach, there are shelters, meaning civilized beings live there. Before they can do anything else, a gargantuan wolf with the same plagued appearance of the giant rat comes walking through the thorn forest behind them and makes its way to the sea for a drink of water. They presume this is a creature that killed the rat, though it is quickly consumed itself by an enormous whale that erupts from the sea and drags the wolf into the water. It is clear that this is by far the most dangerous world they have visited yet. They are surprised by the sound of coughing behind them and turn to find a skeletal and diseased man has emerged from the tiny shelter. He introduces himself as Ludo and explains the history of the world and how the portals have impacted it. He claims that there are many portals around, all of which are activated in different ways. He states that the people who have come from the portals helped his world deal with a plague long before, but since then they just push things through they cannot dispose of themselves. Ludo also reveals he has met Torv and sent him in the direction of a portal farther up the beach, which also happens to be quite the dangerous trek. John Kaya soon learn that a portal matching the description of the one they used in their own world is actually situated under the hill, and requests that Ludo take them there. He agrees, but wonders whether they will wait for their friend. Kaya decides that Torv is no longer worth the risk, and tells Ludo they will go without him. They walk through the shelter and down a flight of stone steps, soon finding themselves in a room with a dark stone like the one outside Orn. They thank Ludo and prepare to activate the stone, but before they can, he pulls aside some branches and reveals a mirror framed in red gemstones. John and Kaya become disoriented, and when they wake up, the Blood Summoner is standing above them. Okay, so let's go through the rolls. You got a number 6, Charismatic Megafauna, and I got a number 17, something a character thought was important, Turns out to be totally unnecessary. (laughs) I love that one, by the way. I love that one, too. (laughs) When we did these roles in the last episode, we joked about the fact that since our characters are cave people, they don't exactly have a lot of physical items on their person that they could realize are unnecessary and then consequently forego. Your choice for this role was my favorite part of the entire chapter. You had John Kaya realize that it was Torv who was unnecessary the character that you had just introduced into the story, and then left him behind in the Putrid Coast to fend for himself. What led you to make that choice? I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, they couldn't really get rid of anything they had on their persons because the items you introduced in the previous chapter were there to solve a problem which I introduced, which is how do, you know, characters deal with language. And I wasn't going to make that not important because then we're just going to have to have caveman grunts and misunderstandings the entire story. So I wanted to avoid that. I realized that like Torv sort of was introduced in that capacity that, you know, a lot of horror movies and horror stories have is that like the tough guy comes in and you think, oh, we're we're a lot safer, but then the tough guy just gets killed. So I was kind of being a little bit tropey with that. But I mean, again, like they're so focused on finding him. I'm like, why? You just met him. And he's super dangerous himself. Like, he may be the most dangerous thing, and you can't rely on it. So I thought it was kind of a funny little twist. What do you think are the odds that you're going to bring Torv back in a later chapter? Would you be fine if we never circled back around to Torv again, and that was just the end of him? Yeah, I think that that would be fine if he came back in some weird way. I think that would be fine. I just like it's not conventional, you know, because, again, like, a lot of people are like, you got to make sure you end the person's story, like, their own personal story. I'm like, why? Who cares? Like, sometimes <laughs> characters disappear, and that's it. So, 
We'll see. I think it's it's to be determined, but I think it's kind of interesting that he just literally is gone. Like, that's kind of cool. We did a one-shot episode between the end of the first season and the start of this season about the video game Elden Ring. When I read your chapter, I got very strong vibes from one of the areas in that game, the Kaled Wilds, which is this horrible, inhospitable area that has been blighted by a disease called the Scarlet Rot. Did you have Kaled specifically in mind when you created the Putrid Coast, or was that coincidental? It's a coincidence, but that's probably like, if you look at media, that's probably the closest representation of what I was going for that you could get. Because we talked about it in the earlier parts of the story where there was a river that was plagued and what happened with that. I like the idea of just plagued creatures falling into water and that water suddenly becomes really plagued. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's your, I, I should just go with what you said because that's a lot smarter sounding. <laughs> Mine's a bit, you know, dumb, dumb. But no, that's 100%. Like, that's a really good comparison. We've talked in this podcast about both of our mutual respect for those who take care of society's garbage. Your son is enamored with your neighborhood trash collectors, and you mentioned trying to teach him about the importance of organized sanitation and how it is the backbone for modern civilization being able to function properly. How do you think that opinion worked into you creating the Putrid Coast, which is for all intents and purposes the garbage dump for our multiverse? I think it all revolves around the idea that there is a level of garbage or toxins or whatnot that like just can't be disposed of in a way that is safe. And so, you know, for us, for example, like look at nuclear waste, we have to put it in really thick barrels and and encase it in concrete just to make sure nothing happens. So like, I kind of wanted to give that vibe, though not for the characters of that area to get that role, not because they wanted to, but because they themselves got attacked by a plague. And it's just the only thing they can really do. And they eventually grow to like it because they're diseased. And this is kind of how it how it works, you know, so I don't know, I like the idea of, of worlds dedicated entirely just to garbage and in weirdness and disease, because it sort of makes sense. And I think if we had a portal to shove things into, we would do the same thing here on Earth. Absolutely. One would say that we sort of already do that with countries on the other side of the ocean. That is true, actually. That is 100% true. Well, I really liked that twist at the end when it turned out that the Putrid Coast was just the multiverse's garbage dump. I thought that was brilliant. So congrats. (laughs) Thanks. In Chapter 3, you introduce the gray-haired man, a mysterious character who mysteriously knows seemingly everything about moving between the realms. I then proceeded to have Torv crush that man's head to teach the barbarian an important lesson about solving his problems with violence. In your next chapter, you introduced another mysterious character, and knew this time well enough to give him a name, Ludo, and he also mysteriously knows seemingly everything about moving between the realms. Did you create another character with a similar archetype because I killed the first one too prematurely? Or do you just love mysterious characters who cryptically know more than the protagonists? <laughs> I think it was kind of happenstance because I needed a character to sort of explain what was going on. But I think you and I are starting to, let's say, narrow down some of the backstory of how all these things work. And I think it's clear from the very first chapter that there are a group of individuals that have powers and there's like an interconnection between worlds, you know? And so that's kind of why I went with that. And you you told this to me about earlier stories I had written when you and I were kind of just throwing ideas, uh, you know, against the wall back years ago. 
I'm too mysterious sometimes with things. And like, <laughs> I need to explain things a little bit more because then the audience is like, I don't care because I don't understand this. So I don't know. A little bit of is, is me kind of attacking a weakness I have while also trying to expand the universe a little bit more. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, Ethan, this chapter had a lot of fun twists and turns and giant animals. Did it also have some self-doubt? Absolutely. It's the corner of self-doubt. This chapter was the least subtle of any of the chapters that I wrote (laughs) up until this point. This one was one I think I told you beforehand that like I was like, I'm going to kind of go a little bit bigger in terms of the creepy kind of, I don't know, it felt really B-movie, to be quite honest with you. And I thought maybe it's too wacky. Like we went from a story that was grounded, and I'm using parenthetical fingers on that. It was grounded to some sort of a reality within these worlds with little hints of like creepiness. And then we were building that up and you were building that up in a very good gradual way. And then I was just like, oh, this chapter is going to have everything. It's going to have disease <laughs> and plague and gross oozy oceans. And and I thought at the end of it, I was like, oh, man, this may be too wacky. But it was fun to write. It took me a, a lot longer than the other ones, but it was fun to write. And so in the end, I was like, okay, it's, it's fine. But your self-doubt was that you had taken it too far over the top. Way too far over the top. Compared to the first five chapters. Exactly. It felt like a big tone shift to me. And I don't know, the roles kind of pushed me in that direction, but also, I don't know, we needed something kind of crazy to kind of like keep that momentum going, you know, because I felt like we did a lot of building. And my last chapter was too much backstory. I just wanted like action and creatures and ooze. I got all of it. Yeah, you promised no more flashbacks in this chapter, and there were no flashbacks. No more. And you got the word megafauna in one of your roles, and you really laid into the mega, and I appreciate (laughs) that. I did. I did. Your chapter ends with John Kaya being transported back to the Chamber of the Blood Summoner, which, to be perfectly honest, I was not ready for John Kaya yet to go back to Orn to deal with their unfinished business, but that is what my next chapter is going to be about. That said, I couldn't make any real decisions about how to do this until the Fate Index dictated the framework I was allowed to work within. Shall we go back to a time when I still had hope I was going to get far better roles than I actually did for this chapter, Ethan? Yes. Hello, Ethan of the past. Hello. These are some pretty serious roles we've got in front of us. You left me with quite the cliffhanger in your last chapter. Yep. Sorry. No, I love it. But it's at that point where I can't even think about what I'm going to do with the Blood Summoner without these roles. These these will completely decide what happens in my chapter, more so than anything that I've had to write in the story so far. Yeah. I hope these are silly roles. I hope they are. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's the part of me that hopes we get silly roles when some, you know, less silly roles would put us in a direction that made sense yeah. for a cohesive narrative. <laughs> but, you know, we might also get bodily functions begin to cause eerie physical changes. And every time John Kaya sneeze, they turn into a kitty cat. Yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> Which then plays into the other role, cat eat food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. I'm going first. Let's see what the fates have decided. Okay. I have rolled a 14 body swap. Ooh. Okay, that is not one that I had even put on my radar for something that could happen in this chapter. That's a weird one. That definitely puts us in a direction that I would not have gone otherwise. Yes, sorry. I feel like I jinxed that a little bit, but I'm really interested (laughs) to see what you're going to do with it. Really interested. This could be great. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. Let's see uh, what kind of a pickle we got Jeff in. So I'm going to go ahead and roll now. 18. Life is too good. Interesting role for them just being plopped into the lap of the antagonist. Yeah. Huh. Life is too good and body swap. What is this chapter even going to be about? (laughs) Uh, All right. Oh, boy. Sorry. Boy, this one definitely doesn't start writing itself the way that some of the other ones have. No. Where as soon as I got the role, I was like, I could see the outline of it start to materialize in my brain. My brain is just making a raspberry sound when I put <laughs> these two ideas together right now. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, it could be something genius or it could be something that we're going to have to, like, fix in a later chapter. <laughs> Maybe this is going to cause a lot of tech debt. A lot of tech debt off this. <laughs> uh, yes. Well. The only way that we will ever know is if we go back to the future. (laughs) So, I gotta say, even after having written the next chapter, I'm still a bit salty that those were the roles that I had to work with for chapter 7. I have to say, worst roles that we've, I think, ever gotten. Yeah, and it's our fault, because we were the ones who put Body Swap into the Fate Index, and Life is Too Good. Those were both ones that we added at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And once I had to actually do a Freaky Friday chapter, I couldn't help but think, why did I do this to myself the whole time (laughs) that I was writing it? (laughs) But indeed, coming up next is a Freaky Friday chapter. (laughs) That's what this story needed, badly. (laughs) It's exactly what this story needed. Thankfully, the new submissions we have for the Fate Index aren't quite so specific or daunting as the last two. Replacing at number six, we have an obscure side character suddenly gets a crucial role in the story, and that is thanks to Benji. Okay, I like that. This was actually lost in our email from the end of season one, and I had responded promising Benji that I would use one of their submissions in the initial Fate Index for season two, and then promptly forgot all about it because nobody ever emails us and it got (laughs) lost. But it's not like we get a lot of unsolicited emails for the Fate Index, so I do feel particularly bad about losing that one. But, you know, better late than never, right? Yep. And this is a good one, because if this rolls, then all of a sudden, like, Ludo has to be a major character in the story or somebody that we casually mentioned in Orn. And I love that pressure to just elevate someone to a major character. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple we can choose from. <laughs> mm-hmm. Replacing a number 17, this is one that I think you're really going to like, Ethan. The call is coming from inside the house. And that is thanks to <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> I do like that one a lot. That'll be an interesting challenge. <laughs> Obviously, we can't do it literally because they are cave people. Why not? But the premise of that very (laughs) classic horror 
almost cliche, figuring out how to work that into our cave person story, I think is really great. I'm going to have Torv wake up from a cold sweat as a teenage boy in Sweden (laughs) and panic about the dreams that he's just had. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that chapter. (laughs) Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for sending us fate index submissions that we promptly lose in our email for almost an entire year. We promise to do better. But we do need them, so please send them. That way we don't have to write another body swap chapter after this one. (laughs) But we do hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Thanks.